welcome to Everything Leftover, our podcast on HBO's The Leftovers. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm Keith Krepko. And we are going to talk about the season two finale of The Leftovers called... You ready? You get an earthquake. And you get an earthquake. And you get an earthquake. Everybody gets an earthquake. (laughs) Um, Actually, it was called... I live here now, right? I like I your title better. I still live here? Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. Something that in, that involves living here, and it's a line that Kevin says. Um, You want to just do general impressions? What did you think sure. of the finale? Yeah, so I like the finale, um, and I feel like I always need to lead with an emphasis on I like <laughs> this episode, I like this show. <clears throat> that being said, for the first half, definitely for the first quarter of this episode, uh-huh. I was out of my mind frustrated by it. So um, basically all the way up until John, no, all the way up until Kevin goes back to the hotel. When Kevin went back to the hotel, that that was a turning point for me because I thought, okay, this is either where they go so off the rails with this finale where they, they really think they're trying to do something and they don't do it at all. And it becomes like a Tommy Wiseau production of uh-huh. the Leftovers finale or they pull it off. They kind of go in directions that Damon Lindelof has wanted to go in previous shows and I feel like has not pulled off and they actually pull it off. And I think when he goes back, that's where the episode actually gets really good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the karaoke scene in particular is pretty amazing. And mm-hmm. um, from there on, it's good. But Man, that beginning. Now I have a quick question about just the karaoke scene. Okay. A a completely hypothetical, no way to really answer this question. What if it was hotline bling? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I would like it a lot Um, better. What if the song he was singing was hotline bling? Yeah. What if... how, How do you think that scene would have registered if we never had the episode where Kevin goes back to the hotel. What if that episode, there were only nine episodes in this season and that episode just didn't exist. And instead of getting into it and being like, Oh, I know what this is. I know what all of these are references Mm -hmm. to being completely thrown off for the five minutes that you're there. But the scene plays out exactly the same. Um, I like that thought experiment a lot. And I actually like that. I like that world. Um, I think that that would be, and and I think I've heard somebody compare, maybe I I compared it um, to True Detective season two, their David Lynch moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have, I think fully embraced that kind of idea, the David Lynch idea, but also taking it in a new direction if they just dropped you into it and they're like Mm -hmm. deal with it so i like that especially because i think both of us were kind of lukewarm on the hotel episode 
Well, the thing that I liked about that scene so much more than the actual episode is that I feel like it operates more in the dream world state than the other episode does. Mm -hmm. The other episode, for being in a dream world or purgatory, it's pretty linear. Oh, yeah. And it's pretty spelled out what he needs to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this one, it's kind of like you really have no idea what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, is singing this, you know, Simon and Garfunkel song (laughs) at karaoke really supposed what I'm supposed to be doing to to get back? Right. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. But then once you see it happening, it's like, wow, this makes total sense. And as a, a, a father and a husband. I feel like I can relate to those instances where you're just like totally caught off guard by mm-hmm. something that you mm-hmm. would have never given any consideration to. And next thing you know, you're like, wow, this, uh, you know, I've said it before, but it's like, wow, this Google commercial is really getting to me. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, for 30 seconds of it, I'm just like, this is a stupid Google commercial. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's why I really liked that moment. I thought they did a really good job of sort of, exploring that area yeah you you pinpointed it in in the fact that the flashbacks that was something that could have been heavy-handed too yeah. like where he sings about magazines and they flashback right to, to, to the magazine but it made me think like what stupid song could i sing in in an afterlife like that that would just trigger all these different emotions about my family or my son and like you said it could be little things that you didn't think of before and then the other thing that i like is it's so smartly written where uh kevin's like do i have to sing and he's like yeah why and he's like because that's stupid you know it's yeah. like it is stupid but they have such a clear idea of where they're going with the scene that they have all the confidence to put that in there and it feels like a wink at the audience without being overt, like, we know what we're doing, you know? Watch us wink at ourselves. Yeah. So I I, I agree. I think that, that that scene is kind of like probably the height of leftovers for me. Yeah. Season one or two. Yeah. It's it's just a great concept, and it's mm-hmm. acted really well. Yep. Justin Throat does a great job. And, and directed beautifully yeah. with the with the flashbacks and everything. Okay, so as someone who you said earlier on, I believe, that you were not interested or didn't really care about the girls that had gone missing. Mhm. So what were your thoughts when this episode opened and it seemed to sort of it seemed to at least give the impression that we're going to now um, at least what I thought was we're now going to spend maybe 45 minutes oh, yeah. with these girls. Oh, yeah. What, what, is that what you were That's thinking? That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. When it started with her farewell, whatever, right. Yeah, that drove me crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, great. Now we're getting, you know, another single perspective of 60 minutes of this girl. Ex- exactly. And I don't care um so that that honestly kind of sent me into a a twitter panic i think i i actually tweeted at you 
and some of the guys that we did the uh, best of three podcast with, I think I tweeted at you guys like I something to to the extent of like I'm I'm having serious reservations <laughs> about this finale. Yeah. Um now my question okay, and, and this is where I think people get get uh off track with when we talk about shows mm-hmm. is that sometimes we get caught in potential minutiae that people feel like is nitpicking yeah. or or is overly critical. Um, but how did Kevin beat the girls to the lake? Yeah. How how does that timeline add up with what we know about the girls? I think it's a problem of I I think honestly that that is a because that's definitely there, right? At least with the way this specific episode is edited and 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 put together, that is an issue. But I think because for 9 episodes more or less, we've 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 spent our time, you know, an hour at a time watching each character go step by step through where they're starting to where they're ending. Now all of a sudden you're getting, oh, okay, so we're getting Evie's perspective, but no, 10 minutes later she's at her destination and there's obviously stuff in the middle that we've missed. That is probably just them driving around doing whatever. Well, okay, can I fill in quickly what, what I imagine them doing? Sure. Okay. I, running naked through the woods has to be in there somewhere, right? Well, wasn't it daytime? In <laughs> yeah, the, it So, I mean, okay. So this is what, this is why I imagine. I imagine them turning off the music, getting very serious. You know, the one girl starts crying. Um, but then they're all very stoic. But then, like, one of their stomachs rumble, and they realize, like, <laughs> uh, I'm really hungry. So they decide, uh-huh. like, okay, we're going to go eat. But they're right. very serious, right? Yeah. And they're driving, and they pass by a movie theater, but they see, like, a movie, like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Episode 8 is uh-huh. out now. And they're like, just look at each other, like, yeah, we got. Let's do that. So right, do that. Yeah, yeah. But they're all very stoic through yeah. it all. But they just like, they're things that they just have to do as they go to the lake. Right. Um. So I imagine that. Yeah. They they ate. They probably watched a movie, and um, and they went and got dessert. They had to. Mm-hmm. But they didn't speak through it all. Right. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. So anyway, go on. Because yeah, there's definitely huge. I mean, unless you're assuming that as. That as soon as everyone says goodbye at the end of that scene, they literally walk into their house and go to bed, right? And then what? An hour later, Kevin wakes up and walks like like. There's probably a good four or five hours in right. between that well, sequence. Well, from what we've seen before the season, Kevin has no problem with just literally walking into his bedroom after. That's true. However dirty he Climbing is, and just, out of a ditch. Yeah, and just walking <laughs> into bed and laying down. So that's true. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that didn't bother me, uh, really, uh, and I'll, uh, it's because I'll, I'll say this: I love the finale for as much as I did not like this season, or maybe like the second half of this season. I love the finale because they did the one thing that I have been complaining about the entire time: they finally just took everybody's story and told them in one episode. So instead of having a single perspective from beginning to end, you now have, you you get something that's more interesting, right? To me, at least. And that's what I really liked about it. And so 
as soon as it happened, I was like, I was like, I thought the same thing. I was like, how's, how did Kevin get there already? But it, it, it moves away quickly enough that you're just like, okay, well now I'm focusing on this other thing. And it's something else I'm interested in, of course, cause it's the finale and they're wrapping stuff up. But so that, that, I don't know if I would call it a nitpick just because it is kind of a pretty glaring, glaringly big plot hole. But at the same time, it's not significant to the plot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's there, whatever. Um. So after that, do they then go to Nora? So after, like after so the they're girls cold see open. Kevin, so the girls see Kevin holding a cinder block at the lake, mm-hmm. and he just jumps in, and and what I thought was actually a, a really cool scene, right? Right, and like then it's Kevin, just an interesting visual. And doesn't it cut to Kevin for a second, who's like, um, remembering, because I remember reaching for my phone at that point, and then Kevin coming on screen, being like, "Oh, are they going to say this is just Kevin remembering that stuff?" Which is why. He's conflated himself oh, yeah. being there. Um, but then Oh, maybe that's that's right. That's what happened. That's where the the five hundredth earth earthquake comes in. So he mm-hmm. jumps in the lake, the earthquake starts to happen and the water drains out, and then it transitions into him climbing zombie esque out of his grave. Mm-hmm. And then they go into his conversation with uh Mike. Michael. Cool. And this is what I have a question about. And and Phil brought this up on the Best of Three podcast, and I thought that he misspoke when he said this or misinterpreted what had happened. I was under the impression that Virgil molested Michael, but Virgil actually molested John? That's I I thought the same exact thing. And then yeah, apparently that was so I was like when did that happen? Yeah. Were they Exactly. Was he married right. to his daughter? Right, exactly. Is I mean, he's obviously old too old for it to happen then. I I mean, I would imagine. But at the same time, I wouldn't think this guy molested you when you were a kid and then 10, 15 years later, you marry his daughter, right? That doesn't really seem like it would flow together. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I, I don't know. I, I was a little confused on that. But this episode seemed to make it clear that Virgil molested John, right? That's what that's what Kevin says. That's when what like, Kevin says, right? right? When Kevin's like, I know what he did to you. Right, now, exactly. Now, is he saying, I know what he did to you in molesting your son? Right. I don't know. It could it could have been I mean it still it still could have just he still could have been talking about Michael and it and it really only makes sense that it's Michael. Right. Uh so Kevin has this conversation with Michael and then I think it goes to Nora who is taking care of uh Mary and the baby. Mhm. And another earthquake happens mm-hmm. and Mary so what are we to make of Mary waking up, I guess? I mean, this episode of any seemed to very directly 
sort of uh, tell you its philosophy on God. Right. It ties God to earthquakes. So basically, <laughs> any earthquake is God actually moving in our world. Right. But I mean, it, to me, it's it, this ep, this episode more than any is saying like God is real. I guess well, right. Oh, absolutely. Like, I think that there are still some people out there who are kind of like, I don't know. This show's pretty ambiguous. You could explain it either it, way. Yeah, it feels very unambiguous. It's very unambiguous. I mean, if you, I, I, I just. I mean, if you think that you are what what what's a a, a realist mm-hmm. um and you think that this show might still support your views, you're not a realist. You're you believe in the supernatural. Right. <laughs> and you need to just right. come to come to grips because yeah. if your cosmology uh, allows for all these things potentially happening for strictly scientific reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you believe in God and you're probably ready to be ordained mm. as a pastor. So. so what did you think of the Mary is awake moment? Yeah. Of her awakening. Did yeah. You, did you like the moment itself? Do you like the directness of the they're, they've sort of answered a lot of questions with that. Right. With that. When Matt's event. like, you remember that night that we had sex, right? Right. And she's like, yes, oh, yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, I remember the positions. Um, and so uh, what, what I think carried me through that, number one, <clears throat> something had to give with her story. So I'm glad that something yeah, happened. They had to do something. They had to do something. I think Matt is such a great actor mm-hmm. um, that I quickly got to experience it from his perspective. And seeing him now dealing with this reality, I, I was fascinated by mm-hmm. again. Um, so I think, again, it's, a, it's an event that they quickly tied into the larger story with another character that you, that, you know, I like. And it it helped it move quickly. Like they didn't mm. hang out. They didn't be like, and here's where Mary's been. Like flashback to Mary in a hotel mm. killing somebody to try and get. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I was I was glad that they just dealt with here's an earthquake, Mary's back. Now she's with her husband again mm-hmm. and we're we're keeping this thing going. Mm-hmm. What about you? I was kind of hoping uh for a second that she would be like the WB frog. You know, the frog who would only yeah. sing and dance for the guy that owned him. And as soon as oh. he tried to show him to anybody else, he would just <laughs> sit there and just croak like I, a frog. Right. Right. And then as soon as Matt's gone, she's just like, get me out of here. Help me. <laughs> and just get me away from him. You know what I mean? But that obviously, I, 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 it's if it feels a little, the directness of it feels a little, it feels weird mm-hmm. to sort of have such a direct sort of solid answer to, and it's not even really an answer. It just sort of, it feels weird to have such a solid conclusion to one of the storylines. Yeah. I I will say that I do like, again, I like the fact that in a world where mystery can come like a bolt of lightning, so can answers, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, Sometimes what's un you know unexplainable is something 
drastic, but sometimes it's something wonderful. So mm-hmm. I think it fits again with the you know themes of the show. So yeah, uh, yeah that didn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, and that, and I think part of that and, and the side effect of sort of the way the show has been composed up and up until this point is every single time something happened in this episode, for example, Mary waking up or Kevin getting shot, I was terrified that that would not, that moment wouldn't be progressed any further for the rest of the finale. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is purely just a side effect of how the rest of the season was made. But but and one of the reasons why I liked it so much is because I feel like they progressed all of that stuff and they wrapped it up at the end very nicely, I felt like. Yeah. So before we get to there, the so Nora brings Mary to the camp and that sort of transitions to Tommy and Meg who are uh setting up there and that was another thing about the the scoreboard turning on that whole sequence <laughs> yeah. of events felt a little i don't know it just felt a little off to me i didn't really care for that that much I, maybe like the the showboatiness of it I guess that's necessary as part of their plan, mm-hmm. but it just, I don't know. It felt a little off to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, so they set up shop on the bridge with the RV, the girls come out. Um, and we already talked a little bit about the, the karaoke scene resonating. Did the moment on the bridge with, Erica and Evie, did that resonate with you at all? Not at all. N- not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Why do you think that is? Number one, because I don't know these girls. Uh-huh. I, I don't have a sense of them. Um, and, okay, I take that back a little bit. I like the way that it was filmed and acted once uh, her mother, one of my John Erica. Erica. Once Erica breaks through the police line, like there's that scene of her running across the bridge towards her daughter mm-hmm. that I thought was beautiful in mm-hmm. terms of just composition. And her signing to her daughter, I thought was like, if that's the only reason why you gave her a hearing impediment, that's that's great. Like I love the fact that it ties into like her daughter's now part of the guilty remnant. But then you realize like, right. If you can sign, somebody can understand sign. Mm-hmm. They can talk to you. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you stop that? I think that is just a really interesting and, and engaging concept. And again, I thought it was filmed great with the sound muted. So you, you're really getting the impact of that mm-hmm. in terms of the girls themselves. No, mm-hmm. I did not. I did not care. And it's, it's part of the problems that we've talked about before where these are teenagers who have not suffered in the way that, you know, people who actually had some of the 2% depart have suffered. And so you, you kind of have these, um, in the, in, and I know, I know, I know that this show is about how 
there are no privileged people in this world, right? That mm-hmm. we are all carrying our own burdens, our own depressions, our own struggles, you know, that the departure in some ways just exposes those things. It doesn't add to it. It just increases the pressure and then emphasizes those, those fissures that are already there, maybe in your psyche or in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I understand all that, but still in, in this universe, you could look at these girls like if we were living in this world, we could open up uh, the New York Times tomorrow and read an article on like the three girls that joined the guilty remnant from Jarden mm-hmm. and be like, what dummies, what idiots, mm-hmm. right? Like what, what do they have going on that they, they feel like they need to join the guilty remnant, which is about pe- making people remember, mm-hmm. right? Um, I could see myself reacting that way to those girls. And so from a viewer of the TV show, there was an element of that too, where I was like, oh, please, these three, mm-hmm. like, like they're going to be the face of mm-hmm. an emotional kind of moment in this show or mm-hmm. universe, please. And then the other side of that was that I didn't have a sense of them as characters. They didn't have weight. So Eric, obviously, but where were the other two girls mothers Mm -hmm. we didn't see them we didn't you know and they and they're just all again like while erica's up there they're not even doing it they're just kind of standing there smoking Mm -hmm. you know and that as an image of disinterested teenage girls i didn't find compelling Mm -hmm. what about you for me the the problem is the it's the same problem i i had with the guilty remnant sort of being reintroduced as major players in this season and it still is just that i don't understand what the guilty remnant are 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 working towards like uh, uh, the that scene was filmed well and i knew what they were going for and i could see how they were going for it but it just didn't work for me because the entire time i'm trying to figure out like what does a guilty remnant world look like like, what do they want these people to do to quote unquote remember? Do they just want everybody in the world to dress in white and stop talking to each other altogether? I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand what their purpose is. I don't understand what they're trying to get everybody to do. And, and, and on top of all of that, I have no idea why these three girls would join them. You know, of all the time in this season they spent on all the different things. To literally not even show a second of Meg recruiting Evie outside of a terrible baby carrot line, like that, and it, that does not true. serve as a recruiting moment at all. Like mm-hmm. it just makes no sense to me. Outside of you know, oh, we've written eight episodes of this thing. How are we supposed to end the season? Well, I guess we'll do this in the last two episodes. Well, I, I think. For me, the guilty remnant is about getting people to drop the facade that life was changed on October 14th. To think that you can go back to anything resembling normalcy is a lie. Sure, but I mean, what does that, what does that mean going forward? So now, what does the world look like going forward? Exactly. Going forward then, I think what you, what you would have to do 
and what they are about is getting people to drop that facade. And for these characters, it has meant tearing them apart. That if families accepted the the reality of a post-departure world, that their whole concept of these relationships would would utterly change. And you know, like how many people if they realize that the world did not operate the way that we assumed it did in terms of, you know, 2% departing, how many people would walk away from their families because all they're, they're doing that, that that's keeping them to their families is like social expectation is guilt, you know, is all of this stuff, right? Well, it's like something bigger has happened, you know? So just walk away, you know, just burn it down. You don't like your job, then leave it. You know, you don't like your family, then leave them. I think, I think Meg is about exposing those cracks, not giving people just like John did, not giving people any room to run anymore mm-hmm. by saying like, you cannot hide behind this city. You can't hide behind your family. You can't hide behind your home. You can't hide behind your job. What are you feeling right now? Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And come to us because we don't associate with those things. So we're not, like, helping you become a better you. We're just getting you away from those things, you know? And so it's like, I mean, all of us would change something, I think. You know, if you don't walk away from your family, you'd walk away from your job probably, right? Sure. You know, so, I mean... That, I think, is what the guilty remnant's about. That if the departure happened, your, the lies that you're living now would be, in a, you, like, you couldn't live them anymore, you know? And the guilty remnant is not about letting you live those lies anymore. So pushing your face into the reality of saying, like, you hate your job, so get out. I mean, 2% of people disappeared. You know, yeah, and I think that's great. I think that all makes sense, but I don't think any of that is in the show in this season or the last season. Well, th- and, and that's why I said for me, that's what they are. And, and it sure. took me a while to get that out because I haven't thought about it in in those kind of clear terms. But, but I think I think for me, that's what they're that's what they're about. And and so these girls, I think, are kind of confused because they they're living in this world where not only are they protected, but they're singing. They have a song about it. Mm-hmm. They they have they are the I forgot what the number is two thousand four hundred sixty six mm-hmm. or whatever nine hundred whatever mm-hmm. it is um but they have a song about it like like they have all of these buffers that they're hiding behind that in a reality though they can be touched right mm-hmm. like I think that's that's what they're responding against we are not safe we can be touched by this force this thing you know, that hit all these other families, these other people. Um, and the guilty remnant is just the first group that came by that gave them the opportunity to be like, we'll help you realize those frustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that again, that's not really in the show. That's, that's my kind of speculation. And I didn't get enough time spent with them to verify that. And so I'm not concerned with them mm-hmm. as they stand on the bridge. Right. And if they potentially blow themselves up, I'm yeah. kind of like, oh, I 
don't care. So the bridge sequence is, uh, it, 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 if the 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 if if the Erica moment is the front of a bookend that is filmed very well, and at least has the facade of a emotional resonating sequence. Mm-hmm. The back end of that of that bookend is handled a little uh, a little uh, more clumsily. Yeah, with um, people just shoving their way oh, yeah. on, <laughs> and the which I, I know we've we've harped on somewhat throughout the season. The like four or five people that they have working as security on the front end of this bridge, and it's like as soon as two people get past, there's a guy that's just like ah, there's too many, just let them through, right? <laughs> Yes. And then you see, uh, uh, so there's this weird gypsy in the camp who's like haunting Nora all of a sudden, steals her baby when the ruckus breaks out and runs off, and then for whatever reason just drops the baby in the middle of the bridge. Who knows why? Uh, but you you see this baby laying on the bridge, which of course people are not trampling because that would be horrifying to watch right but it's as soon as Nora hits the ground it just is like fair game and she just starts getting stomped on by everybody just is like that doesn't make any sense and not only that I would say if there's one thing that I like the least about this finale and and not just the finale but the past couple episodes is that I feel like Nora who is probably the strongest character in the show really gets short shrift in the last three or four episodes of the season because she just disappears, disappears with very little explanation and she just more or less is, is not there for the rest of the season. Um, and then when she shows back up in the finale, she's more, she's just kind of a, a handler for Mary and mm-hmm. it's actually more about Matt and Mary's story than it is about what's going on with Nora even though you're seeing what's going on with Nora. So mm-hmm. that was a little uh, disappointing. But Yeah. No, yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, and I feel like it, just touching on again, that bridge scene to wrap it up, it, it's also undercut. And I understand in a TV show, you only have so much time and budget. But Erica, I loved her running out on the bridge. But when you see her running out on the bridge and then there's just like these three girls smoking in front of a, a trailer that's like wide open, um, it just made me think like, are these four cops so inc- that they're not even like all you need are binoculars to like look yeah. in the thing. Like, I think it's empty. Right. Or those three girls, they're not going to stop you from walking up. Exactly. A, a middle aged deaf housewife ran up on these three girls and they had no idea she was there. But you're telling me four or five cops couldn't just walk up there right. and go into the trailer? Or, or once Erica <laughs> went up there, that the cops wouldn't be like, right. oh, yeah. look, she's she's there. It, it, stuff like that just undercuts the, 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 the idea. And then when all hell breaks loose, and I understand that it's a, this is a, a psychological attack, you know? This is a, a well choreographed, psychological attack on the idea of, of Jarden, on this idea of miracle. Mm-hmm. Again, pushing miracle to its limits so that it can't hide anymore of the the, the kind of Disneyland facade that it has. Right. Which is, there's no magic here, you know? Um, 
So I, I thought that was great. It made me think of the Island of Dr. Moreau, um, which is kind of the, the, did you ever see that movie? The, whether it's the Marlon Brando or the older one. I saw the Val Kilmer one. Yes. With Marlon Brando. Right. That is a secret guilty pleasure right. of mine. I watched that so much in middle school. I mean, yeah, I saw it when I was a kid oh, and I loved it then. I have too. not watched it since I then. loved it. I'm sure it's not a good movie. Right. But this this made me think of it and I guess I guess we're we're going to get there. I'm jumping the gun a little bit because when Kevin comes back is basically right. where everything's on fire as well. And you got those do you remember those two people doing doggy style and yes. like yeah. So um, which I think that is like straight out of the, the island, Dr. Moreau, where mm-hmm. you have this man trying to cultivate this, this society of these animal people. And it's so precarious, you know? Um, and all it needs is just one little push in, in the wrong direction. And that whole society is crumbling. And that <clears throat> is kind of the same balance that Jarden has with, the people who are outside of it, right? Where mm-hmm. we kind of talked about like, why are they outside of it? Well, it's, they're part of the ecosystem, right? They're, they are buying into this idea and they've, they, they've fallen into the strata where I think that they, they believe that they belong outside of Jarden because they believe that there's something magical about Jarden. Mm-hmm. Even if they hate Jarden, even if they, they seem to have contempt for it in some ways, they secretly are drawn to it. They they want to be a part of it, but they don't know how to be, which mm-hmm. is why they're on the outside, why they have this stockade and why they're asking people to beat them and mm-hmm. they feel like they need to earn something. Um, but then when Meg comes and, and tears it all down, that's that kind of just push. And then everything turns into Island of Dr. Moreau. Right. Um, what did you think of that kind of from the point that the people realized that there is no bomb. These are the three girls from this city. We can go there. We're not cut off anymore. We have full access to this place, mm-hmm. and we can make it what we want. What did you think of that transition? Well, I was unclear on the involvement of the people in the camp because, I mean, like I like I said in the last episode, I felt that Meg made it clear that her intention was to open up Jarden, whether that was to blow it up or whatever. Her Mm -hmm. intention was to get the people on the outside inside. So when you start seeing everyone change their clothes into the guilty remnant clothes, I mean, I, I guess... I don't think it was everyone in the camp, though. Right, it was yeah, a lot of yeah, people. They, they, they were and, plants. Right, and on yeah. a logical level, I understand. I understood that. But while I was watching the show, I was thinking, wait a minute, so are these converted camp members? Is it a mix? Or is this just straight up, these are plants, and they're leading the way for all of the, you know, uh, gypsies in the in the trailers. Basically. Baby stealers. And- yeah. Um I mean, I guess it's a very obvious reference to the first episode where, first season, where in the season finale, Kevin is out of town and he comes back and everything's been destroyed by the guilty remnant and the city's on fire. I'm not entirely sure if it is a 
lazy reference or if it is a meaningful reference. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I understand on a on a certain level, it's a it's a it's obviously a you know a, a theme that a thematic a, yeah. a thematic tie with the guilty remnant. You know, wherever they go, things get destroyed. Maybe, but the 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 parallel of the two seem to be a little lazy to well, me. Well, okay. What, Just because, I mean, it's literally the same thing that happens in season one. I, I think there's one slight difference, which is the guilty remnant, again, I think what they're doing is they're exposing the fissures that are already there. That there are people who are walking around paralyzed by fear and are not willing to acknowledge it. And they are there to try and push that like a like a pimple right and until it pops so the guilty remnant Gross. right so the guilty remnant is actually and and this was on screen but i'd be shocked if they are responsible for any of the fires set in jordan that sure yeah but i mean you know <clears throat> right those are all the people yeah that were outside the town that have now been unleashed on the town the guilty remnant which is what we see at the end they they're all inside serenely sitting amongst the chaos because that's what they're about they are not about converting everyone to their idea they're about giving people the freedom to burn the world down because that's what they want to do in reaction to the departure people are angry like what nor has been called out for mm-hmm. um and they can't, the guilty remnant is not going to allow people to keep that in, which I think is where their strength comes from. Mm-hmm. But where they lose it is that they become a system unto themselves, which is what Meg is rebelling against. So she's basically just saying, look, I want to be doing, this is the work I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I want to give people the freedom to do what they want. And I anticipate that everybody wants to burn this world down to one extent or another. That's her assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we're setting up for maybe in season three is that kind of, you know, especially um, not to talk about this, but just to reference it. Cause I want to talk about more later on, but when Kevin comes home at the end mm-hmm. and everybody's in there, you have this idea that that house represents the good that can come out of people being pushed to their limits and instead of responding how these people did, which is like, let's have sex by this burning car and then let's just burn this place down. But let's actually like walk through all of that fear. Let's walk through that and come out on the other side as a semblance of a, of a whole of a community, you know, that you have in that house, the sense of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I like that. I like pitting that against each other where they can they can defeat Meg by showing that there's enough people who who if given, you know, if forced to address their fear that they can actually push through that and say, "Yeah, that's right. I'm scared, you know, and I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to respond like the island of Dr. Moreau." 
creatures. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to turn into an animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to rise above that. I'm going I'm to push through that. And uh, and so I like that dichotomy. And I think that's what sets <clears throat> the action of the guilty remnant apart from season one. Because if I'm remembering, their actions directly led to the fires. Um, did they did they throw? Molotov cocktails and I can't remember. I don't remember. I, yeah, okay, I don't remember either. But but this one was a was a passive, um, uh, participation. Well, that's what you're assuming. It, this one doesn't show. Yeah, but it, but it fits with what Meg is doing, right? Where does she have plastic explosives? No. Is she throwing a real grenade out there? No. But she was also the impetus at the end of uh, in the season one because remember when she comes back, when Kevin comes back, isn't Meg all beat up and he asks her what happens and she just is like, we made them remember or whatever. Right. So, I mean, I think the assumption is there is that, no, the guilty remnant did not start all these fires but they were the catalyst for right, them. They, they, yeah, yeah. And I think, again, I think it's still, it's, I don't think it's lazy. I think it's, it's reemphasizing what they do because you're, you're right now, you're making me remember season one. Um, but, I mean, all throughout season one or two, right, what's the thing that the Guilty Remnant does not do? They do not fight back. Well, but the, that, that's Meg's whole thing is she wants to fight back. And she does fight back when she starts hitting Matt. Right, psychologically. I think now, now she's yeah. a psycho, except... Can we have a moment of silence for the bike boy? The poor stoned bike boy? I don't remember the bike boy. Remember when Meg first comes back into Jarden and they're like, we have a situation. This guy was riding his bike in a trail or whatever. Oh, that she then has stoned. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And she has stoned. Can we have right. a moment? Like, yeah. that to me also does not make any sense given this. Right. Because it goes against exactly like, and one of the guilty remnant guys says, he's like, let's just hold him here till tomorrow. It'll all be over tomorrow. Yeah. And it's like, that guy's absolutely right. The fact that she had him stoned to me works against mm-hmm. her character and what she does in the finale. Yeah. Okay. So before we talk about the end, the end, what did you think of John Murphy's arc in this episode? Um, you know, I, I, in the best of three podcasts, I kind of talked about how John Murphy was a mystery to me mm-hmm. in terms of what his motivation is, how he responds and acts as a character. And, uh, in this one too, I, I just, I think I end up being okay with him as a character mm-hmm. and, and I like the moment at the end where, um, where there's that resolution between he and Kevin Kevin's like, he's like, Hey, what if no one's home? And Kevin's like, then you come to my home. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a really nice moment. Having said that, now knowing who John is based on this season, I wish he was more clued in. Mm-hmm. He seems kind of oblivious for all of his knowing kind of actions and looks early on in the season, where he seems to have a little bit of a handle on who he is as a character. By the end of the season, he seems to be a man who's flailing, mm-hmm. you know, pretty openly and pretty wildly. And um, <clears throat> I felt like he was more re- uh, a, a character of reaction than he was operating out of a identifiable kind of um, psychology. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, 
what is he expecting to hear from Kevin? Yeah. What what is he concluding from a muddy palm print? <laughs> you know, I mean, he just seems to just be wildly responding emotionally to these things. And they just don't really follow a sensible pattern of behavior. He seems to be working 100% off of testosterone. Exactly. Right? Like he's just going full speed, full bore. And he's not actually thinking about anything. He's just, like you said, reacting to everything. I think the, I think my biggest problem with John was just that dedicating the entire first episode of the season to John and his family set him up to be a much bigger player than mm-hmm. what he ended up being. Um, so throughout the after the first episode, the entire season, you're, you're waiting for them to go back to John or to get more of John's story. When in reality, he's not he's not really that big of a player in the story. He's just kind of this side character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes so it's it's hard to sort of reconcile that and with sort of the more or less somewhat insignificant time he gets in the finale and throughout the rest of the season. But, but other than that, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you well, said. The, the moment that we skipped was when, um, Erica opens the present, uh, from Evie. Right. And it's the cricket. And again, another scene where you want to be like, John, dial it down. Mm-hmm. When he sees the cricket and he's all happy. And Erica's like, you think that's the cricket? And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, that's not the cricket. Right. Uh, that day, it was chirping like crazy. And he just cuts to Johnny and just goes, F you. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be like, all right, John. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that never uh, occurred to you? or I, And I know that he's responding to Erica saying the things in this family aren't how they appear. Mm-hmm. That you have this narrative in your head that we're one way and it's not we're we're not we're another way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then from just responding like "f you" is right. like yeah, that's that's the testosterone approach. Right, yeah. Now either go get shot or shoot somebody because that's that's those are the two, uh, you know, kind of operation you know, or throw somebody out a window. Right. Th- that's how you operate this season. Yeah, I also thought that was interesting because. Erica's explanation is that it's just as a cricket, right? But I think the real explanation is that 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 present is a cover-up because the cricket sound is her phone, right? That was the that was the the impression that the last uh, episode left. Well, that was Meg's phone, right? Somebody's phone, right? Right, but but my but my understanding, or at least my theor- theorizing, been- is that. Right, that is that is in the first episode, knowing everything we know now, you hear those cricket noises and you're supposed to realize that is Meg and Evie communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what I'm imagining that that is. Mm-hmm. And so her giving her dad that present is kind of a cover-up for that. But But more than that, it's Erica thinks she has the answer, but she also doesn't have the answer. And in reality, neither of them know what is going on with their daughter. Right. And that is kind and that is, I thought was really an interesting point. It's not explored at all. Well, I mean, I guess it is in a mm-hmm. larger context. 
Um, but and it reminded me of I guess maybe it was season one of True Detective because Marty has the same issues with his daughters. Um, and that is just it's a it, it it just is a bummer that those themes are a bummer to <laughs> yeah. me because I have two daughters and I'm terrified right. of like losing touch with them. Right. Anyways, so that 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 moment I found very interesting. So one thing, uh, so parallel to the bridge stuff that we were talking about earlier, sort of before and parallel to that, John confronts Kevin. Kevin tries to explain himself. John or uh, John shoots Kevin. He dies. Goes to the hotel that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, Kevin comes back. Goes into the town. He walks. I guess he's walking to the clinic to I'm get into Doctor Moreau. Right. Happened. Uh, John shows up at the clinic. They walk home. Say their goodbyes. And Kevin walks into his house and sees everybody is in the house, right? Um, his daughter, his ex-wife, Tommy with the baby, Nora. Is that it? I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, should that be the show's finale? Should that be the series finale for the show. I'm okay if it is, but again, I like this idea of community that the guilty remnant is saying you cannot have a semblance of community anymore. And what Kevin and those people are saying is, you know, we, we can have honest, in real connection still in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a value. And there and I guess if I had to speculate on what the guilt why the guilty remnant doesn't speak is because they don't think that there's anything left worth saying. You know? Mm-hmm. Um that's how irrevocably the world has changed. And what I would like to see in season three and what I think you could do is explore this positive rebuilding of community and family. Um, it's a, it's a far different show in my mind. Mm-hmm. If I follow through again on the themes that have stood out to me. So in my mind, it could work. Um, but would I want to see a furthering of season, like a season two A or season two B? Mm-hmm. No, not, not, not with these characters. We've, that scene meant so much because I think it showed so much of where they've, where, where they've come and, and what could happen mm-hmm. to then see a regression or whatever I think would would be retreading territory in a in a negative way at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. that'd be my fear. What, what, what yeah, do you think? I, I, I think uh, I think it should be the series finale. Mm-hmm. I feel like it should be the series finale because that is the end of Kevin's story, and despite not getting the majority of the screen time, maybe. 
Kevin is the main character of the show. He's sort of the central figure that's tying everyone together. And the way that ends, I would not ever want to watch another episode of Kevin struggling to figure out whether or not he loves his family or struggle, struggling to, to figure out if he's crazy or, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that stuff is over. It it, it has ended. And like you said, he, uh, anything that he would be struggling with going forward would be sort of monotonous and just like everyday kind of trivial stuff that probably would not make for an interesting TV show. So I feel like they've sort of wrapped it all up mm-hmm. and on t- Matt is also there. And on top of that, you add the Matt and Mary story, which has been wrapped up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at everything in there. It's all been wrapped mm-hmm. up. Even Nora's to a slighter extent. Um, she has the sequence in this. It's kind of the same sequence as when she's on the phone and you think she's buying into this alien stuff, and then she just starts cracking up. Mm-hmm. But she has that moment where she's listening. Some like weird audio book comes on the CD player when she turns that song the radio, off. The, the, yeah, or she's listening to, to a radio uh-huh. program, I guess, mm-hmm. and it starts talking about how you can't solve all your problems by having a baby or something. And then it's like, and Jesus. You, yeah, and then you think, and then yeah, and then it just goes off the rails. Or and then and then it's like unless it's baby Jesus and she just loses it and, and you realize like she's she may have these questions sort of creep in every now and then but she's pretty solid mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I feel like it's all been answered and the only way they're going to be able to do a season three is if like you know <laughs> if they're like the season three opens up and it's the garbage and they're like hey all right we're we're going to this town where, you know, uh, every other person departed. See you later. And and then you just end up with the Murphys and sort of what's left of them after all of this has happened. Or you're just following a different family altogether. Well, you, you also had that scene where Erica kind of waves over to... Do, do you remember that? She has that moment where, you know, they're, they're even bringing resolution because... Previously, Nora threw right, a brick right. through their window, right. and then she threw a brick through, you know, a, a response brick. That there's resolution there too. That that's what I'm I'm in complete agreement with you. The, the other thing too is Kevin has answers now. Yeah, Kevin has been to the other side twice. He sung Simon and Garfunkel in a way that was more <laughs> profound than Simon and Garfunkel right. could have ever imagined. Right, right? um, and. And the island of Dr. Moreau has been loosed upon the town. Uh-huh. So, you know, John has admitted, what if nobody's there? He's admitted his fears. Um, they now know what their family is. We, mm-hmm. we, we missed, we, we skipped over the scene where Michael stands up to testify at church. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and that, and that was one. Is a story about the bathwater. Yeah. I didn't really understand that. Okay, the, yeah, yeah. We, the well, significance of that. So anyway, um, that that family has now been been broken down, and right. moving forward, you can't deny that Kevin does not have answers now. Yeah, that that should be able to speak some truth into these people's lives. That if they care about him at all, which we know that they do, 
that they're going to listen to him and that everyone is going to benefit from Kevin getting, you know, dying twice and going with Virgil and all this stuff. And now other people will be able to accept forgiveness and give forgiveness in a way that they weren't able to before. So you can't move forward without that being a reality, right? You can't move forward and then be like, Kevin forgot all of his answers. <laughs> he now has amnesia of the hotel, uh-huh. you know, um, that, that that's not going to be compelling television, but you know, you could kind of spin it again and kind of make it like, what has Kevin built now? Let's, let's flash forward now into the future. What would 10 years of Kevin's work look like now that he's back now mm. that he's kind of accepted this I would almost say that's a call. I, I almost see Kevin as a prophet. Um, I think that's one interesting way to view this season um, is the calling of a prophet mm-hmm. uh, where you have a, you know, if you think about a uh, not all prophets were willing, uh, an unwilling prophet like mm-hmm. uh, like Jonah, who's like, nope, I'm not going there. I'm going this way. And then God having to work to bring them back to their calling. You could see that's where Kevin, you could see that as Kevin. Mm -hmm. And now Kevin has been brought to a place of greater understanding than he ever wanted for himself. He didn't, he didn't ask for this, but now that he has this perspective and he's been through what he's been through, then I think that, he needs to operate as a true kind of uh, a Holy Wayne type of character um, who's a force of, of good though, of, mm-hmm. of, um, of real resolution and, 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 and healing. Um, but I see Meg as fully embracing her call. So you have interesting, you know, positive negatives there um, for season three where you could follow Meg's continued work and then maybe Kevin's work as well. Maybe she's working against him. Um, that that could that could be kind of interesting. But mm-hmm. uh, but I'm with you. If this is it, this is it, and I I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good ending. If the, if this is the ending, it's a, it's a great ending. I think I think. Uh, a couple of things before we before we finish. There were a lot of earthquakes in this season. I feel like there were also a lot of earthquakes in Lost. That's a good point. There were, right? Yes. Get rid of the earthquake crutch, right? <laughs> it's not needed. The other thing that I wrote down that I did not get to mention is, again, I had this fleeting moment while watching the scene when Kevin was about to do karaoke, and I really wanted while that guy was talking to Kevin about you have to sing a song or whatever he's saying, mm-hmm. I wanted the woman in the background who was singing to just like disappear mid belting at something uh, out. You like, know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I just wanted to just like, <laughs> and then disappear. I just, would that would mean that she's like proving her she's passed the test. Exactly. She's like, right. Yeah. Exactly. And then I wanted the same thing to happen to Kevin. Like as he's tearing up singing homeward bound. Right. He just poofs. Poofs. So is he invincible? Right, because uh, yeah, another how long another is his thing, invincibility? Along, right, along with 
him somehow getting to the uh getting to the body of water before the girls is he he very clearly should have bled out uh but again it's like uh, i definitely don't disagree with that but at the same time it's like yeah whatever yeah you know what i mean he didn't seem at in a rush point, which right. i thought was interesting he was just like i'm <laughs> well, back so i'll go over here and, talk and, to and what i thought was interesting about it too is as soon as when he came back he seemed to be perfectly fine <laughs> right for for a good stretch he was like walking around he didn't seem like short of breath he wasn't like hurting when he bent over or anything he was just like strolling around and then all of a sudden it's like oh no wait, wait a minute i did lose a lot of blood now i'm going to die again <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. But then it's like uh, John shows up, puts dabs his gunshot wound a little bit, and then just picks him up and they walk back home and he's fine. <laughs> like okay, right? So uh, who knows? I, I wanted mean, the final shot from to walk in the uh, door and then like you see moonlight shining through him, like his, <laughs> through his gunshot wound. The, the other thing too, this is just a side note, but but I love when it happens when you have a character who's reuniting with another character after being through something really kind of profound, horrific, um, usually injury related. And, um, the character that they're reuniting with, they're they're obviously going for the emotional beat, but they don't, I feel like properly acknowledge the, the physical abuse the other person's been through, Mm -hmm. you know, like pick, pick it. Like there's (laughs) just been a million movies of like, somebody's like their face has gotten beaten to a pulp and now they've like, stumbled back to the one that they love and the person's just like crying, like hugging them or whatever. And they don't stop and go like, good God, you, you have a hole in you. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, are you okay? Right. It's just like, everyone's looking at Kevin like, welcome Kevin, home. Welcome Happy home. birthday. And it's like, right. oh wait, you were shot? <laughs> like, Oh wait, your blood, your shirt is literally made of your own blood right now. <laughs> exactly. But that happened previously this season too when like, again, he came out of a pit mm-hmm. and then crawled in the bed. Nor just seems interested in like handcuffing him, but isn't like, why are you covered in dirt? Why are you laying like, go clean yourself up. Yeah. You know, she's just like, here we are. Okay. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for our, uh, season two podcast of the leftovers. If there is a season three, we will probably be back to do that. We are planning to do a Westworld podcast with our friend Chris in February when that season starts up. So HBO has another show called Westworld coming out in February. We will be podcasting about that more than likely. More likely than not, it's about an adventure park. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sci-fi the, western. Okay. Like, yeah, Sci-fi western adventure park. Mm-hmm. Is adventure park the right term? That sounds no, wrong to me. Yeah, the, the theme park. Right. Yeah. Did you did you watch the trailer? I I might have it at some point, but right. I don't I don't remember I don't remember now. Um. So we'll be doing that. We will be back on our uh, main quote unquote podcast. Everything is interesting after the beginning of the year. So 2016. We will have a new episode out the first or second week of 2016. Uh, other than that, I don't think we have anything else. 
No. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Zs. And stay tuned for our, uh, for our tote bags, <laughs> which might be coming in uh, maybe 2018 at this point. I don't tote know. Tote bags? What is that yeah. about? I don't know. I was just we, we haven't really done announcements. And I oh. feel like <laughs> all podcasts have tote bags. Uh-huh. So I just felt like when you're like, do you have anything else to announce? I just wish that we could have announced a, some sort of merchandising deal. Right. Like a tote, like a tote bagger. What what would our thing be? I, I would I'd I'd want a wallet. Um sure. A I'd, wallet. I'd want to produce like a wallet. Yeah, maybe uh I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Right. Socks? Sure. Earmuffs. Since you listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh yeah, and I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Things Come Right. Uh, thank you for listening to the season. Thank you for listening. If you listen to all the episodes, thank you very much. That's all we ask. If you've emailed us or left any reviews or commented, we really appreciate it. Um, that's all we got. We'll see you in February, hopefully. Hopefully.